Well, hello and good morning, First City family. Good morning, good morning. Yes, my name is Taryn Howell, and I'm one of the pastors here. Very glad to have you with us here this morning. Welcome everybody in the room, everybody online. We are so glad that you are joining us this morning, and I want to give also a big welcome. I always like to do this to our first-time guests. It's always kind of weird to show up at a church if you've never been there before, and we're a little weird, so that's okay. We know it. We claim it. We own it, right? But we're, we're so glad you're here. We hope you get connected here and find this place to be family and ultimately get to know Jesus. Uh, we, don't, we don't really hide our agenda here. We, we want you to know Jesus, and so, so glad that you're here. I want to kind of reiterate what Savannah said a little bit. Uh, Breakfast with Santa this week, this is, I, I would probably say it's our biggest event of the year. She said over 500 children. These are all foster families that we get to serve. We have the opportunity to serve. And we do a lot here. If you're new with us, you may not know this, through our lift ministry to serve foster families and foster children. And we do this, I just want to give you the why of it. We, we do this not because we love foster families so much, although we do, and not because we love foster children so much, although we do. We do this because we love Jesus so much. And he's the one who moves us. He loved us first. And this is just our way to show that to other people. And so and one of the ways he says to do this is to take care of what you know, the culture around you sometimes calls the least of these or, you know, just doesn't, doesn't build up or lift up as much. And so we do this to serve these children and these families who are day in and day out using their time and their resources uh, to take care of children. We're just, it's, it's our thank you to them. If you are not signed up to come, just please, if you can make it come. I'm not saying this because we need everybody to show up. Uh, we, we don't usually have a problem with how many volunteers we have. I'm not saying we don't need volunteers either, but we don't usually have a problem with that, but it is something that it'll be worth it for you. You will get so much out of this. It is a fun event. If you can't make it to the event on Saturday, like Savannah said, come sometime this week. I, if, I, if I could just make a wish, it would be that our whole church family just sells out to this and is involved in some way or the other. Find, find a way to get involved in this because it's really wonderful. So um, today we're starting a new series called Down to Earth, and it's all about really the Jesus coming down to earth. And we're talking a lot about the nativity. You see we have this set up here. Uh, and so we're, I, before I get into any of that, though, if you will, I want to pray first. So if you'll bow your heads with me, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day you've blessed us with and for this time that we have together. God, we thank you for Jesus. And it's really, I mean, it's, it's a crazy thought to think that the creator of the universe, the creator of everything that has been created, came to be among his creation and, and live among us and live a perfect life. And he didn't just live a, a nice, cushy life. He, he, he got in the middle of it. And so, Lord, we just thank you for that and for his sacrifice um, and God, today I pray that my words would be building up, edifying to you, Jesus. And if they're not, you would just remove them from the ears of those listening, that the Holy Spirit would give me the words to say for your glory and your honor, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, yes, we're starting Down to Earth, our Christmas series. And each week we're going to kind of talk about uh, different, I'm going to say, characters of the nativity that you see here. So, you know, wise men and shepherds and there's Joseph and Mary and of course Jesus. We'll be talking a lot about Jesus. And really it's, it's 
all about, uh, we're, we're going to be talking about what did it mean to have them there, what was their significance there at Jesus' birth, and what is the significance to us today. Now, if you're looking at the nativity, and I know you may not all be able to see the nativity here, but you kind of have a picture in your mind. You've seen it set up in church yards, or maybe you have one set up in your yard or something. I just want to say the nativity is wrong, okay? I don't want to offend anyone, but it's wrong. Uh, the, the, the traditionally, even this, this is not, uh, this isn't like biblically accurate how this was set up. Uh, the wise men, for example, or kings, which that was just they're not really kings. That came like later tradition. Uh, you know, the wise men, they weren't even there. Like they came later, and, but we just kind of throw them in with it. And most likely, uh, a guy named Justin Martyr, one of the early church fathers, about 150 AD, wrote about how Jesus was born in a cave in Bethlehem, which makes a lot more sense, most scholars believe. Now, it was a cave. It wasn't really a manger. So, like, I might have just, like, ruined somebody's Christmas. I'm really sorry if I did, but Jesus still came to earth. That's what's important, right? But, but some, of, some of what you see, though, is not, like, we've, it's just become tradition and not biblically accurate, but that's okay. We're, you know, we're, we're still, it, we can throw them all together, and we're off a little bit, but that's, it's, it's pretty close. But what we're talking about today, what we're going to focus on today is the wise men. Uh, but before I get into that, I want to ask you a question. I see if anybody knows the answer to this. Anybody know what a celebrity's, and I might be saying this wrong, rider is, R-I-D-E-R? Yeah, can you just like say it out? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to call you out, Sean, like that. List, uh, oh, that's good. Good way to go, Sean. Yeah, so a celebrity will send in a rider, which is their list of requirements for them to come and perform at some place. You, now, okay, you've heard of this now, anybody? No, okay, two of you have heard of it, all right, uh, but so some of them are kind of crazy. Like, if you want me to come and perform, you want me to come and sing, you want me to come and do whatever, uh, you have to have all of this set up for me. So I just want to read a couple of these. This does have something to do with what I'm talking about. Just wait. So Madonna, this, Madonna's pretty interesting. Uh, she wants a setup that mirrors her room at home. So apparently she gets all of her furniture, the same furniture, moved from her like bedroom in her house to whatever venue she's going to and sets it up there. It's, it's a little weird, I'm not, I, but that, that's what she does. And then she also has like a certain type of flower that she wants all over the place, but they all have to be cut to exactly six inches. So yeah, yeah. Her last one that I, I saw that I thought was interesting is she wants a brand new toilet seat everywhere she goes, which I just think that's probably a good idea, you know? <laughs> Some of the venues she's going to are probably not like the most quality. You've ever been to a concert? You're like, yeah, I could use a new toilet seat here. So. We won't get into that. Uh, Katy Perry, this, I thought this was kind of, and I don't, I'm not trying to dog on anybody here, but she, she doesn't want the drivers to, they're not allowed to look at her or talk to her. <laughs> it's like, wow. That's, so she just get in the car and drive and get out and that's it. It's over. This one, I feel like this is made up. David Hasselhoff wants a, <laughs> this is, I feel like it's made up. The, the life-size cardboard cutout of himself. I believe that, somebody said, yeah. Van Halen, I checked this one out. This one seems legit. Wanted a, uh, a big bowl of M&Ms with all the brown M&Ms taken out. I don't know why. I, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but this isn't just celebrities. There are Christian celebrity pastors, I'll say, 
who, who will say, you know, if you don't put me in a five-star suite or, you know, first-class flight or something, then, so I'm not just dogging on celebrities, you know, we, we, all, have, we all have these things about us. I actually asked uh, Pastor Rick this week, because I, I talked to him about this, I said, hey, I just want you to just tell me what would be your thing, and uh, like, what would be your writer if you were going to write one, which we all laughed at that, just, but he said, well, if I'm speaking somewhere on Sunday, I want fresh Chick-fil-A. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. I was like, that is brilliant. I, I didn't know that. I said, you know, because I got a bunch of kids, I just want to take a nap. Like at some point, if you can let me sleep, you can give me a, a bed somewhere, like take my kids for a second. I, I'll sleep on the stage. It doesn't matter. I, I can sleep right now. That's, it's easy. But, you know, we all have, we all have kind of these things, but the, this is what I love about the nativity, is that Jesus, the King of kings, the creator of everything, didn't ask for this royal treatment, this red carpet laid out for him. He came and was in a manger or a cave and was surrounded by animals. Maybe a camel or something was there. And, and I'm sure it didn't smell great. But, but his, you look at his whole life. It's not just his birth. His whole life on earth really was, was one of humility. It, it, he never asked to sit on a throne and be the king. He never, it, you know, he is king, but he never required that royal treatment. He wanted to show the example to us of humility. And this is what I love about the nativity, and I hope that it reminds you of. Today, as we're getting into uh, really talking about the wise men or the magi, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. This is really the only, only place we find them, the magi or wise men as they're called. Magi is, is probably the preferred term for this. They were considered wise men, but magi is, uh, is what Matthew originally wrote. So it makes a little more sense. But Matthew 2, 1 through 12, we'll kind of read this together. I'll talk about it some uh, as we're reading it, and then, then we'll dive in a little more. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now Herod, this is Herod the Great, and he really was in a lot of ways a great king. He built a lot of infrastructure and did a lot of great things, but he was also incredibly wicked. Uh, but this is the Herod the Great. And, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So he heard that there's going to be a king born. He doesn't want a king to be born because he is the current king of the Jews, uh, even though he's not Jewish himself. Uh, he's not the current king of the, or he is the current king of the Jews, doesn't want a new king to be born. So he's trying to figure out from the scribes and the priests where, the, it's going to be, where he's going to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now this is just kind of a cool side note here. This is from Micah chapter 5, verses 2 and 4. And I love what Matthew does here. Matthew is just, he's, in a big way he's showing, because he's writing to Jewish people, that, hey, that, that guy that you know, the Messiah that all these prophets in the Old Testament were writing about, this is him. This is Jesus who fulfilled this. And this is how they knew where he was going to be born. So they look back to the Old Testament, see Micah, 
uh, look in Micah and see, oh, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to, to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring, him, bring me word that t- I too may come and worship him. Now, we know he didn't really want to worship him. He wanted to kill him. But this is what he's telling them. He's lying to them. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Now that, to me, that's a key line here. That they, these magi came in, find Jesus. There's, they have exceedingly great joy because they, they see the star, where it is, go in to find Jesus, and they fall down and worship him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So this is the information we get. There's not, not a lot you can really take away about these magi here. Not, not a lot to, to, to really pull from that. But here's some things that we know or, or that our scholars believe are, are, you know, based on looking at the whole scope of the Bible uh, to be pretty accurate here, is that these magi, most likely they're from Babylon or now Persia area, and the reason that this is thought of is because there's a lot of reasons. I, can't get, I won't get too far into the history of it. But even if you go and look back at Daniel, the book of Daniel, which was written about 600 years before this happened, Daniel chapter 2 and 4, it talks about Daniel being with the Magi. And Daniel actually was chief of the Magi. So this happened when Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar came in and took over Israel, and they ended up taking a lot of the Israelites out. So they were exiled into Babylon. Daniel wins favor with the king and kind of moves up the ranks and ends up, because he interpreted a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar, becoming chief of the Magi. And so it's interesting here that he did this by interpreting a dream, and here they're told uh, in a dream, they're warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, to go to a different way. Because the Magi were, were known for this, for, for trying to listen and interpret what these dreams were. Uh, and so Daniel called chief of the Magi. That's what we believe. You know, they're from uh, east. It, it just says here that they're from east somewhere, but that really this is, this is kind of Persia area here, uh, Babylon. Uh, and Daniel was part of that. Now, we also, some things we don't know that we try, kind of traditionally we get wrong about the, the wise men or the magi is we always have three of them. And you know the song, we three kings of Orient are. That's really wrong because they're not really kings. And we don't know that there's three of them. We just think, well, there's three gifts. And so traditionally we've said there must be three you know, wise men. But how many of you know you got that cheap family member, you go somewhere, they don't bring a gift for anybody? <laughs> Or maybe they just like, I'm going to go in with you on that. That's what I do, okay? So, so it's, you know, it could be, we don't know how many there were. It could be, you know, it's really an indeterminate number. So the real, saying, the real song should be, we indeterminate number of magi from due east somewhere. It, just doesn't, it doesn't sound as good. It doesn't have the ring to it, so I understand that. But, you know, th- these are some things we, we, we kind of don't really know about them. Here's what we do know, though, is that, one of the things we do know is that they're, they're really pagans. 
These were not Jewish people. These weren't people who followed God. And so it makes it even kind of crazier that they come in and they worship Jesus. They didn't follow the same beliefs as the Jewish people at all. And, and there's really two things that I think we can take from them in a major way that really, really sits with them. And so the first one I kind of pointed out, something we can learn from them. And then we'll, we'll really, we're going to land on the last thing. But the first thing that we can really learn from them is look how they worship. Like they came just to worship. Because, and you know they came just to worship because even when Herod saw him, he was like, hey, come back and tell me when you find him so I can go worship him too. So we knew they were going to worship him. They first see him and it's, they see the star and they have exceedingly, rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And then they see him, and I already pointed this out, they fall down and worship him. I want you to think about how these pagan wise men come to worship the king of kings versus how we sometimes worship the king of kings. You know, I think they could really teach the American church something about worshiping. You know, this was physical. They were, they were falling down on their face. I always, I, I use this pretty often to talk about worship. You know, I think if I went with you to your favorite football team, I know we got some sports fans in here, basketball team, or maybe you're into golf, I don't know, whatever. Uh, but if I go with you to your favorite you know, sports team, they come back at the end and they win, you're not going to stand there and say, well, that was, that was a good game, and walk off. Okay, there's going to be some cheering happening, some rejoicing, uh, some praise that's given. And you may not call that worship, it kind of is just worship. I mean, that, a little bit. And so, I don't ever want to worship a, a football team more than I worship the King of Kings. Nobody gets, should get more praise in our life than Jesus, in anything. And I think they set a good example of this here. The other thing that we really take from them, and this is on, if you want to go to the back of your sermon notes, if you have this in front of you, I want to talk about the gifts that they bring, because there's a lot of significance in these gifts. Now, they brought gold and frankincense and myrrh, and probably most of you don't really know what two of those are. <laughs> I mean, they're not, we don't talk about frankincense and myrrh a lot, right? That's, uh, it, so it seems pretty random, but uh, I don't believe that they were random. I think they, they really point towards the identity of Jesus, a lot of these. So we'll start with the first one, and we'll just, we're going to talk through these. Number one, gold is the gift of a king. Gold is the gift of a king. Seneca, the Roman philosopher, tells us that it was custom that no one could ever approach the king without a gift, and gold was the king of metals. Gold, the king of metals, is the fit gift for a king. Jesus is king, and Jesus is Lord. So what's the significance here for us? Well, he's Lord for us. He's king for us. You know, when you really break this down, I think a lot of people really want Jesus to be Savior, but they don't really want him to be Lord. They don't really want him to be king of their life. In the book of Acts, you can read through, Acts has uh, 28 chapters in it, and the book of Acts, you read through the more conversions than in any other book. These are people who didn't know Jesus and then come to a saving relationship with Jesus. Um, and in he, even in the book of Acts, Jesus is called Savior two times, but he's called Lord 92 times. Jesus is Lord first, and then he's Savior. And, 
and we, we just get this mixed up sometimes because we, we want to take one without the other. We want to say, Jesus, I want you to save me, but Jesus, I don't really want you to tell me how to live my life. I don't really want to change any of my habits or my thoughts or my behaviors. And I don't think you can really take one without the other. I don't see anything biblically to back that up. Uh, even, even in Luke, Jesus, this, the words of Jesus himself, then he said to the crowd, and this he is Jesus, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must, this is, this is a huge statement here, you must give up your own way. Just think about that. You had to give up your own way. This means that when I look at how I behave, how I act morally, when I look at my standards in life, uh, you think about what culture says about sexual standards. Like, who gets to make the call? It's Jesus. He gets to put the standards in. We don't, sometimes I really want to, and sometimes I think I might have it figured out. Like, God, can you just let me, and it, it never works out, right? It, follow, it, Jesus already set the standard. He already made it. And if he's Lord, we, we submit, we surrender to that standard. You have to give up your own way. The ways that you even think, this might even be, listen, this, this could even be dreams that you have, goals. Uh, they may not be godly. This may not be what God has in store for you. Because he is king and he is Lord. So you give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. These are this is hard words that Jesus said here. But when we make him Lord of our life, when we ask him to save us, this is what this means is that we give up our own way. And now I'm very thankful that we have grace because I mess up on this every day, <laughs> right? I, I every day mess up on this, and that's where grace comes into play. Uh, even, I don't have it on, on here, but on your notes, I wrote, I like the way the message said this. The message sometimes is a little wonky, a little out there, but I, I like the way it said it, message version on this. It said, then he told them, it's the same verses, then he told them what they could expect for themselves. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat, I am. It's like, Jesus isn't your co-pilot, he's just the pilot. Like, you are not the pilot also. You gotta just give it all to him. So, the, but the wise men understood this. They, they even came in verse two, Matthew 2, 2, came and said, where is he who is born king of the Jews? He's king. We get it. Like, it would, we, he, he is king, we are not. We're, he's king. So, number two, number two, the second one, probably, again, a little less common here. Frankincense is the gift for a priest, a priest. Now, frankincense we don't read about, you don't hear about too much. It's only listed about 17 times in the Bible, but oftentimes it's related to priestly duties. And at Exodus 30, you can go read, it's really like a list of ingredients that go into this special incense perfume that only priests can burn. And a priest, if you don't really understand what a priest is, a priest is someone who is supposed to be the uh, kind of mediator between you and God. Under the Old Covenant, so your Old Testament, if you look at the Old Testament, when you went to worship God, you really had to have a priest come and help you to worship. 
Uh, you went to make a sacrifice, you had to have a priest. Only the priest could go into the Holy of Holies, which was uh, this place. And if they didn't do all the right things to make sure that they were clean, they would die. They would be struck dead. I mean, this is it's pretty cool stuff. You should go read it. Uh, but like, they had to do the right things. And if they didn't, you know, the big consequences for that. But Jesus now is our priest. He is our high priest. This is talked about in Hebrews many, many times it's mentioned. Hebrews 8, 1 and 2, and then I've got verse 6 also. It says, we have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And then we skip a few verses. And, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. The covenant we have with God is better than the old covenant we had. And, you know, I'm, how many of you are thankful that we don't have to come in and sacrifice a bull right here? I mean, that would be a mess. The cleanup afterwards alone, can you imagine the bill that we'd have to pay to get out of the carpets? I mean, we don't have to do that anymore. This was, this was the way because Jesus is our sacrifice and now he is our High priest. And, you know, one way that I see that we, and I don't know that we get this wrong, but we it just, it's always kind of viewed as funny to me. If I ever go to an event, and I, I don't mean to, I don't, I'm not being negative at all when I say this, but I'll go to an event or a dinner or something, and people, because I'm a pastor, will ask me to pray. And I, I love to pray, so I don't mind. So if you invite me, please ask me to pray. I'm not asking, uh, but it's almost like there's this thought of, well, he has like special prayers. Wow, you did not have to laugh that much at that. I can, wow. Uh, it's like he has these special prayers that he can pray because he's got like a real connection with God or something or he's holier or he's something. Like, y'all, that's not true at all. There isn't. I have the same connection that you do as, as a follower of Jesus. We're both adopted sons and daughters of God. We all, we all have that privilege, that opportunity. I'm only holy because of what Jesus has done, not because of what I've done. Amen? And so again, next time you invite me, I'll pray. I'd love to. But, but we, we all have this, this privilege, this honor. Uh, there's a, a story that's told of Abraham Lincoln when he was president, and his son, Tad Lincoln, which I just, that's, a, that's a cool name, I guess. Uh, it's kind of weird. Tad Lincoln was, uh, was allowed, really, to interrupt him at any time. It, it was kind of the standard that he put in place, that Tad could come in. And there's a story, that, I mean, it's really written down, you, that he, Tad came in uh, when President Lincoln, during the Civil War, was in a cabinet meeting, and, you know, so war was going on, so I'm sure all the kids were playing war-type games. You know, Tad came in and brought his soldier, Jack, like a little toy in. He was like, Dad, I got an emergency. Jack has committed a war crime, and he has to be shot. We got to put him down. <laughs> and so, and, and he was like, Dad, I need you to write him a presidential pardon. And Abraham Lincoln stops the meeting and writes the pardon. Like, if you're a cabinet member, it's like, what is going on? This is, this is kind of frustrating. Like, really, this is that important to you? But I think Abraham Lincoln's thought was, like, this is my son. This is my child. He gets all of me all the time. And I believe that's the relationship that we have with God. 
God is in the middle of keeping the planets aligned and making sure things, the stars and galaxies are right where they need to be, you know, right? But we get to, if I can say interrupt, that's, that's not really the right word, but anytime we want, because, not because we're so amazing or because we got it all figured out or we say the right words in our prayers or we're holy because of Jesus, because Jesus is our high priest who goes to God on our behalf. And so anytime we go to God, it's like Jesus going to God. And so we have that privilege, that honor. And then the last one, there's gold and frankincense, but wait, there's myrrh. Come on, I've been waiting to say that, okay? I was, I'm sorry, I'm just bad. It was bad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I was, y'all just forgive me, pray for me, please, okay? Myrrh is the gift for one who is going to die. So myrrh was oftentimes used as like an embalming oil, And I want you to think about the ridiculousness of people bringing this to a baby. We just had, I'm I'm in a small group and we've had two babies born in the small group this semester. It's newlywed group, so you know, okay. But uh, two babies born. And so we went to baby showers and maybe it was last semester. I might be wrong. I'm sorry. I love y'all if if I'm getting it wrong. But I went went to the baby showers and can you imagine like somebody's opening up we got bottles, and there's diapers, pampers or something, and, oh, a crib. And then Taryn brought embalming oil. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, that would be, that'd be a little absurd, right? Like, why, what is he thinking bringing this? But there is something that they understood, and I don't know that the, the Magi really got all of this. I don't know if they even understood the whole significance of it, that Jesus was born to die. Uh, even in, I wrote this down uh, I didn't plan this out with Tyler, but it, it's almost as if we did. That very first song we sang, there was a line in it that we sang a couple of times. It says, "Born, he was born to conquer the grave. That, that's why Jesus came, because he's our Savior. And so even though he's king and he's Lord and he's our high priest, he, he came here to die. There's two times that we see that Jesus has offered myrrh. It's right here and in Mark 15 when he's on the cross, it's this myrrh mixed with wine and it's myrrh is supposed to have some painkiller properties to it. And he refused it there, but at, at the beginning of his life and at the end of his life. And then in John 19, we see that Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, they, they bring these uh, 100 pounds of aloes and mixtures of myrrh to embalm Jesus. You ever just think about how crazy it is, the idea that Jesus, God of heaven, came here and, and became a baby to die. I mean, that was the plan. That was what was supposed to happen, is that he came to die for us, willingly sacrificed himself. There's, I got something here, that this verse, Isaiah 60. Now, this might be a bit of a stretch, I'm guessing here. So I'm just letting you know that, I'm guessing in this. But Isaiah 60 is talking about the future kingdom of Jerusalem. So this is in the future, uh, when Jesus returns, the people of Sheba will bring gold and frankincense. There's no myrrh, because Jesus has already died. He's already paid the price for that. There's, and I I think, I just want to end on this, I'll end on this. um, I believe that the the order of the gifts is important too. You know, I mentioned this before, that Jesus is Lord first, he's king first, before he's your priest and before he's your savior, 
He's Lord first. There's a story of a British admiral. He's really well-known admiral, Admiral Nelson. And he was really famous just for how he, he conquered battles. But also he's really well-known for whenever he defeated enemies, how gracious he was to those enemies. But he defeats this admiral and the, the uh, French admiral comes on his boat and goes up knowing Admiral Nelson's tradition. This French admiral comes up to shake his hand. It was like, I surrender, I'm trying to make peace with you. And Admiral Nelson has this kind of famous line of, your sword first and then your hand. And it's this idea that, you know, the sword meant I'm fighting and me laying down the sword means I surrender. I'm, I'm giving it up. It's almost like before we can have peace together, I need, you to, I need you to surrender. And I think this is the same way that it is with God. We first have to surrender our lives to find peace in him. And, this, and the joy that we find in him, it will be this exceedingly great joy. And you can experience that joy today. There's, there's not a lot, anything special or magical or crazy, no special words you have to say. It's, it's really about, Jesus, I surrender all of me to you. I can't do it myself. I can't pay for my own sin. I need you to do that for me. And he will. In Romans 10, 13, every, it says everyone, and I think when it says everyone, it means everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So today, if you haven't made that decision, I want you to make that decision. I want you to give your life to the Lord. It's, that's where it starts. It starts, I think the best word to describe it is surrender. It's like, God, take it all, because I can't do it. I'm tired of trying to live my own life by my own standards, by my own rules, and it, none of that works. All of that is failing miserably. And if you haven't found that out yet, I think you will. Uh, and Jesus, I just need you to take that on for me. We're about to go into a time of communion and there's uh, juice and cracker, and this represents Jesus' body and blood as he went to the cross. And it's really a time to remember, a time to celebrate what Jesus has done. And we'll do that after I pray and as we go into this next song. But I, I want you to just do something with me, if you will, before we get into that. Will you go ahead and, and just stand with me, and we're going to pray together.